0: Hey, everybody, I'm Paul Valley, and this is the Payoff Pitch on Fanimo Radio, presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. And are you as excited as I am to be back talking some Orioles baseball? I've missed you guys. It's been over a month since we've done this show. I've been going stir crazy. Happy to be back in studio shooting another episode of the Payoff Pitch. I'll probably be giving you the same greeting in a, a month from now when we're doing it again. Uh, but look, Hey, the Washington Nationals, those people right down the, uh, the interstate there, just won the World Series. And a lot of Orioles fans loved it. A lot of Orioles fans hated it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where I sat on either side of that. Just congratulations to the Washington Nationals on winning their first ever World Series championship. A lot of great players on that team who are very deserving of a World Championship. So kudos to the Washington Nationals. Uh, hopefully the Orioles will be in that seat sooner rather than later. Uh, speaking of the Orioles, because that's what we do on this show, they did uh, claim right-handed pitching, right-handed relief pitcher Cole Sussler off waivers from Tampa Bay. He had success in a small sample size in his only big league action to begin his career. Seven games in 2019, covering seven and a third innings. He had zero earned runs allowed, five hits, struck out nine batters in those seven and a third innings. This is a guy who's going to compete for a bullpen spot in spring training. Uh, whether he makes the team out of spring training remains to be seen. We're still three months away from uh, the report date. So, But, you know, you'd rather see the Orioles do something rather than stand Pat uh, while other teams are making moves. Uh, another guy that they picked up, infielder Pat Valeka, off of waivers from Colorado. He's probably going to compete for a utility spot in spring training as well. 13 home runs and 182 Major League at-bats in 2017 for the Rockies. Had a big year in the PCL uh, out west in the minor leagues this year. So this is a guy that the Orioles are bringing over. They have, like, zero depth at, in the minor leagues at in the infield. You're looking at Mason McCoy, and you're looking at Ryland Bannon, who are close to helping the Major League ball club, and then everybody else is in uh, – uh, lo- low to high A, uh, guys like Adam Hall and Toby Welk and um, guys like that. So uh, good to see the Orioles getting some depth into the organization. I don't know what this means for Hanser Alberto and Jonathan VR, who are you know up for arbitration this season by uh, December second. They have to be they have to be offered contracts or non-tendered and become free agents. We'll talk about that in just a second. But, uh, so, that remains to be seen as well, but Pat Vilek, a nice claim for the Orioles, off of waivers from the Colorado Rockies, and we'll see what he can do in spring training. Seems to have a little bit of pop in that bat, so, you know, maybe you get a little bit excited for him. Uh, also, a big move that the Orioles made, they promoted Chris Holt to the newly created director of pitching position. Um, basically, according to MLB.com, what this means is he's going to oversee the development of every pitcher in the organization, and he's going to have an increased presence on the major league side. Uh, He will not be part of the Orioles coaching staff, which means he will not be in the dugout for Orioles games this season. But he will work closely with pitching coach Doug Brickell, who's uh, coming back in 2020. He will have a serious hand in helping the pitching prospects that are coming up to AAA, namely uh, Zach Louther, Bruce Zimmerman, and um, uh, Alex Wells, along with Michael Ballman, who could be up to Norfolk sooner than later for the for the organization, so big move for the Orioles to promote Chris Roll to Chris Holt to this role. He is the only uh, remaining member of the uh, player development personnel that came over from uh, the Astros with Mike Elias when he took the job as GM for the Orioles. So big move for the Orioles. This is a guy who's been instrumental in getting that uh, farm system that was ranked in the bottom third of the league at the beginning of 2019 to being ranked in the top third of the league at the end of 2019. So kudos to the Orioles for getting that move done. Uh, Right now, before we have John Mioli from the Baltimore Sun join us, I just want to go over a little bit over the off-season calendar um, that the Orioles are looking at now that the World Series is over. Monday was the deadline um, for Major League teams to negotiate with their own free agents before they could officially become free agents to the rest of baseball. So November 4th, All the free agents of Major League Baseball are free to sign with any team they want. Uh, The only free agent that the Orioles had was Mark Trumbo. He liked the free agency. I don't know that Mark Trumbo is ever going to play another Major League Baseball game. Uh, He might sign a minor league contract with a team, uh, go to spring training, and, and prove that he can be healthy and he can be a contributor. I would expect it to be an American League team because I don't see him as anything more than a designated hitter, but he certainly won't ever be playing for the Baltimore Orioles again. Uh, November 11th to the 14th, this the general manager meetings. Uh, that's also when the awards are going to be announced. Cy Young, Manager of the Year, ro- uh, Rookie of the Year, Most Valuable Player. Uh, the GM meetings are basically an opportunity for the general managers of every ball club to meet face to face. And that's where they generally lay the groundwork for potential deals that could take place as soon as the winter meetings. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't do do make deals before the winter meetings, but that's usually when the groundwork gets done and then at the winter meetings usually when they start to uh, pick up speed. Uh, They also bring up a lot of hot button issues uh, like the pitch clock, robot umpires, etc. We saw how bad the umpiring was uh, and what, you know, you couldn't tell the difference between a ball and a strike. There was a strike call on a pitch that was eight inches inside on the player in game seven. Um, So I'm sure that will be brought up at the general manager meetings. On November 14th, Qualifying offer deadline, this is a very convoluted, there's a very convoluted explanation to compensation for teams that offer a player a qualifying offer and then he signs with another team. It's the first time ever the qualifying offer dropped this year. It was $17.9 million last year. It's down to $17.8 million this year. Um, and basically you offer that to a free agent on your team that you want to stay with your team. And if they decline it and sign with another team, you get compensation in the form of usually two draft picks and some money, Uh, whether you're a revenue-sharing team or a non-revenue-sharing team, or you've uh, surpassed the luxury tax threshold like the Yankees, Cubs, and Red Sox. A whole convoluted explanation that we don't really need to get into because the Orioles aren't offering Mark Trumbo a qualifying offer, so we don't need to worry about that. Uh, then you have your owners' meetings, uh, November 19th and the 21st. Uh, that's where the owners meet face-to-face to the off-field issues. General managers aren't there to get in the way. And then the first big date that matters for the Orioles, December 2nd. That's the non-tender deadline, which is the deadline to offer pre-arbitration and arbitration-eligible players contracts. Uh, if not, those players become free agents. The Orioles have seven players in VR, Alberto, Bundy, um, Castro, Michael Gibbons, Richard Blyer, and I believe Trey Mancini is the other one uh, who are all eligible. Uh, uh, actually, Trey Mancini is pre-arbitration eligible, so I have to figure out who that seventh player is. But a lot of big names, namely Jonathan VR and Dylan Bundy and Richard Blyer, those are the big question marks. I would imagine that they're going to tender Bundy a contract because you are really, really thin in that starting rotation as of right now. And this is assuming Alex Cobb is healthy. You have four starters for five slots, so I would, and that's with Bundy. So I'd imagine that they tender Bundy a contract. Richard Blyer, he's only going to get a, a small bump up to a little over a million dollars this year. Uh, he is a lefty. He did have three straight sub-two ERA seasons before getting hurt in 2018. Uh, didn't pitch very well in 2019, but pitched well down the stretch. So this is potentially a non-tender candidate. But also a tender candidate because he's a left-handed pitcher, but his age works against him. I believe he'll be 33 in season in 2020. So that's something for the Orioles to look at. And for me personally, if I were running the club, and I'm not, that's why I'm here, um, I would tender him a contract because you already don't have great pitching as it is. And if this is a guy who can stabilize the bullpen even a little bit, uh, a million dollars isn't a ton of money, 1.1 million, not a ton of money, Uh, I would offer him the contract. Uh, VR. He's expected to make over $10 million. The Orioles probably don't want to pony up that dough, but they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Is, uh, John Mioli and I are going to talk about it a little bit later in the show because they don't want to pay him, but they don't want to lose him for nothing. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, and then the, you have the winter meetings, December 9th through the 12th. Um, this is where all the big deals have the groundwork laid and potentially get done. The last couple of years, the big name free agents haven't signed until really late in the offseason, a lot of them at the beginning or middle of spring training. Uh, Garrett Cole is the big name out there. Steven Strasburg opted out of his contract, Anthony Rendon. Those are the three big names. and uh, I would imagine that Rendon and Strasburg re-sign with the Nationals, but it may, it may go down till February or even March again. So we'll see what happens there. And then another big date for the Orioles, uh, December 12th is the Rule 5 draft. They took Richie Martin and Drew Jackson last year. Held on to Martin. Returned Jackson to the uh, Dodgers. Martin will probably start this year at Triple A. But in 2017, Anthony Santander was picked in the Rule Five Draft, uh, and he's going to be the Orioles one of the Orioles starting corner outfielders next year. So this is a big um, event for the Baltimore Orioles and trying to bolster their roster and maybe get a guy who was just a roster squeeze for a, for a team, and that's why they left him off their 40-man, uh, who could be a potential impact player for them down the road. So uh, that's going to do it for the first half of this show. We have John Mioli from the Baltimore Sun uh, coming up after the break, after we get a word from our sponsor. Uh, keep in mind... February 11th, pitchers and catchers report less than 100 days till spring training. So, John Mueller going to talk about that and more after the break here on the payoff pitch. But first, a word from DNL Window Tinting. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL window tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410 941 2942. That's 410 941 2942. Welcome back to the payoff pitch, and joining me once again from the Baltimore Sun is John Mioli. John, how are we doing today, man? I'm well. What's going on? Not much, man. Glad to be uh, back doing another show. Glad to have you on again. I believe this is your third time, so you're a chiseled veteran on the show for us uh, by this point. Recurring guest. Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. So first thing I want to talk about, and I know a lot of fans are up in arms right now. Uh, the Orioles have canceled Fan Fest, and Fan Fest is one of those things where the fans turn out in droves, no matter the the weather, the temperature. You see thousands of people lined up around the convention center. It's been going on for a long time, no matter the record of the team. People turn out for Fan Fest, and people are pretty upset that they've canceled it. What are your insights on this, and uh, what can we expect from the team moving forward to kind of supplement this since they're not doing the the uh, the event? Yeah, I mean.
1: I think you kind of hit it on the head. This is the thing that diehard fans are really, really into. They like to come. You know, it's a good time for fans. It's a good event for the media to kind of springboard into spring training. But I think people who have been there over the last couple of years have noticed that it's been on the smaller side of the convention center the last couple of years. Even that didn't look terribly full this past year. And I think it's honestly more of a business side deal than a baseball side deal. And You know, my colleague Peter Schmuck rightly pointed out that, you know, this might be – to preempt some unpopular baseball moves. And I think that's absolutely the case, you know, with Trey Mancini, Jonathan BR, Michael Givens, some of these other players that, you know, represent the core of this present day team, possibly on the trade block, possibly not returning next year. It could be a situation where they don't want to go into fan fest and have to explain all those things. I think that that might have something to do with, but it's, it seems like a baseball side deal to me. The Orioles are really trying to, find ways to reward those fans that stay loyal through this process. They did a pretty interesting program last year with the Birdland memberships. They, I know that there were a lot of perks associated with that for people who had season plans. And one of those perks was going to FanFest free of charge. Now it's not like they're getting a ton of walk-up ticket sales to go to FanFest. And I doubt at this point that they're selling a lot of single game tickets at FanFest either, but I think it might be a situation where the Orioles looked at, you know, just looked at the bottom line of having an event like that at a space like that at a prime time like that in January and said there are probably better ways that we can connect with the fans that we have. Whether that works, whether they anticipated that this was gonna be as big of a deal as it is, I'm not sure, but there's a lot of new people and new places on the business side who are tasked with figuring things like this out and making it so that, you know, fans get their money's worth, whatever that money is they're spending.
0: So, with that in mind, do you anticipate that there will be other smaller events where fans will get a chance to interact with players and coaches and front office members um to kind of make up for the lack of a fan fest
1: You know that would be the that would be kind of the obvious move if they were going to make such a thing, but it's really hard to say i mean this is we're already in November now the Orioles were tinkering with doing some kind of January instructional league type deal to get their minor league players down in Sarasota. Would it be easier if everyone's already down in Sarasota to have all the major league players come and meet and mingle and check in with each other in Sarasota? Possibly. Now, what does it look like logistically, I guess on the flip side to get, you know, 20 big league players and coaches and front office members to come to Baltimore over the course of I don't know multiple weeks in December and January, as they're trying to get ready for spring training, as everyone's got all these things to do, those are a little complicated too. Are these? Are, are, is it is it fair to ask instead of having everyone give up, you know, one weekend and say, "Hey, Trey Mancini, come back the first weekend in January and come do a bunch of events," and then Austin Hayes come back the second week? I think it'll be really hard to kind of manage that from a player standpoint. They'll do it all out of the goodness of their hearts, I feel like, but. It's a lot of moving parts, and removing the one big centerpiece event will make doing anything else like that I feel a little complicated.
0: Right, and I would tend to agree with you on that. So it seems to me like this might just be one of those things where they'll just do more promotions during the season or more you know events here or there during the season when everybody's actually around the ball club and around the city. Uh, I, I don't know that there's going to be anything in the winter um, to get fans to come out and and see everybody. Because like you said, getting people out on several different weekends seems like more of a task than having it just done on one weekend. So I would tend to agree with you there. Now let's move on to the baseball side of things. Uh The Orioles, they promoted Chris Holt to, forgive me here for a second while I try and figure out the, um they promoted him to director of pitching, I believe, um, which means that he's going to be, in charge of the pitching, not just at the minor league level, but the major league level. He'll have more of a role with the big league ball club. What can you tell us about this promotion? What does it mean for Chris Holt, and what does it mean for the Orioles?
1: I think it's kind of just the next logical step for the growth of this organization's pitching development plan. Chris Holt spent all of his time last year down at the minors trying to institute these plans and work with the holdover pitching coaches and help bring along the, the new higher pitching coaches to get a unified voice and develop individualized plans for all these pitchers. And I think there are a lot of examples of this working really, really well, where that was not as evident this year is, you know, I would say at the A level in the big leagues. Now, is that because there, there are a variety of reasons. I don't want to say it was coaching. I don't want to say it was Anything, but there's a lot of factors that go into that. I mean, by the time you're 26 years old and have a taste of the big leagues and you're an up-and-down guy in AAA, you're not going to be willing, you're not going to use the game time you have to tinker with stuff and say, oh, I'm going to try to throw a change-up in this count even though I'm not supposed to. Because if you do that and you give up a home run and the next time Brandon Hyde and Doug Roquehler are looking at the stat sheet to see who's getting called back up to the big leagues, it's not going to be you. You're going to do whatever it takes to get back to the big leagues. And when you get there, you're going to do whatever it takes to stay there. I feel like Chris Holt having a role that's more oversight, that has more involvement in the major leagues, will allow him to work better with those pitchers who are going to be spending time both in Baltimore and in Norfolk. will will, will help some of those things that permeated through the lower levels in AA buoy permeate to AAA. And eventually get to the big league staff it's a pretty fine line that you don't want to cross when you're a minor league pitching coordinator mm. you know working with big league pitchers and under the who are under the auspices of big league pitching coaches and a bullpen coach last year was john Wazen. they'll have a new one this year so i think it's very important to get that get it to a point where a these pitchers who are in AAA a feel comfortable working on stuff the way that someone like keegan aiken did knowing that they weren't pitching for a major league call-up, they were just pitching to develop and also to start getting some of these things that you saw every day if you went out to Bowie or Delmarva up to Norfolk, up to the big leagues and have some of that success start to carry over. Because now we're starting to get pitching prospects up to AAA and eventually the big leagues, and they're not going to be able to just say, okay, I'm developed because I'm in AAA or I'm developed because I made the big leagues. This is an
0: ongoing process. Well, exactly, and I think it's important to note that uh Chris Holt is the only member of um player development personnel that came over from the Astros with Elias and he had a huge impact on that minor league on the minor league pitching staff as a whole on every level to the point where that that Orioles farm system was ranked in the bottom third of major league baseball coming into the season and they ended the season in the top third and a lot of that has to do with the pitching which has a lot to do with Chris Holt and you mentioned that there's going to be some better prospects are going to be pitching at AAA. Last year was just Keegan Aiken. This year you're going to be looking at Zach Louther and Bruce Zimmerman, Alex Wells, at some point Michael Bauman. And I think it's very important to have somebody like Chris Holt who, can, who is clearly growing with, this minor league, with these minor league arms and advancing with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as I kind of wrote about today, actually, you know, those guys are going to be there to develop. And they're going to be four stations of full season ball where it's about development versus, you know, guys who are just kind of there in triple a inviting their time and getting to the big league. So, you know, it's not, it's no accident that Chris Holt was the one that Michael I decided to bring over, you know, Stigma Dell came from the Astros as well, but he was a free agent at that point. He was a big free agent signing the first and only of, uh, of, uh, the last year in the Orioles front office, but like you said it's he's there for a reason he's he was brought over to implement this stuff there was outside interest in him from other organizations this year and it's pretty clear that the Orioles want to hang on to him and keep him in the fold to make this happen
0: right absolutely and uh speaking of pitching and having big league arms and arms at the triple a level that could be available to pitch in the big leagues uh, the Orioles made a waiver claim right after the season ended. They picked up uh, pitcher, Cole Sussler, from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he had seven innings, or seven appearances, I believe he went seven in the third innings of scoreless ball out of that Rays bullpen. Um, this is a guy who, I mean, there's not much of a book on him. That is his only big league experience. What do you know about him? What can you tell fans about uh, Cole Sussler? And Does he have a chance to impact the Orioles' bullpen coming out of spring training?
1: I would say so. I don't I don't see any real way, reason why not. He's got a big fastball. He misses some bats with it. He doesn't have a ton of major league experience, but he's the type of player who he's got, I believe, three options left. I don't want to speak out of turn. He's going to have options. He's going to... He's got experience. He, he's had success in the big leagues. I mean, they need these types of players. There's still going to be a lot more movement as trades come and Rule 5 type stuff happens on the roster, but I don't think necessarily that he's going to be the first guy off the roster when these things keep going just because he was the last off. The Rays had to make some moves to, to accommodate some of their returning players coming to the playoffs. He wasn't, he wasn't necessarily a player that would have done anything to d- deserve getting knocked off their roster, but he did, and the Orioles pounced. That's the kind of opportunistic way that they're going to go about these things, and this is a player who – is a big league ready arm that they didn't have to develop. I think they spent a lot of this year learning that some of the big league ready arms that had spent time in the majors, the two years prior to this front office getting here, weren't really up to the task. So now they're going to try and go out do what they did with, you know, Sean Armstrong with Ash Wojnarowski with Aaron Brooks, all these guys, they're going to go out and they're going to say, all right, somebody else did the hard part for you. Let's see if you could do the hard part for us and stay in the big leagues.
0: Well, right. And, the the thing with Tampa Bay is with with Sussler is it's probably just an odd man out type of thing. They're certainly not in the situation that the Orioles find themselves in with their bullpen where they had the second worst bullpen ERA in baseball it was historically bad. The team gave up over three hundred home runs, a lot of that coming from the bullpen. So you're gonna find help wherever you can get it because you can't keep even even on a rebuilding ball club that's probably gonna lose close to a hundred games again this coming season. You can't just keep going out there and allowing teams to beat you, you got to do something to combat it. Uh, so I think that picking up Sussler could be an under-the-radar move that could help the team in the, in the future. Well, that remains to be seen, but it's better than standing Pat. Uh, speaking of Pat, there's a guy that the Orioles picked up in Pat Valleca, uh, who was a an infielder for the Colorado Rockies. In 2017, he had 13 home runs and 182 at bats, so he's got some pop there. Um, this is a move, to me, that could be symbolic of what the Orioles plan to do at that December 2nd non tender deadline. And what I mean by that is they have Jonathan VR and Hanser Alberto. I would expect Hanser Alberto to remain with the ball club because he's not going to get the raise that VR is going to get. VR is projected to make over $10 million this year. Do you think that the signing of Valleca has anything to do with um, VR's future with the ball club? And what would you say is VR's future with the ball club?
1: Um, I think that. I think it's fair to read somewhat into that. Uh, you know, last year, especially once Elias kind of got settled and into, you know, all the hiring was done, the Orioles were pretty aggressive in trying to bring in infield depth through these waiver claim processes. You know, that's how they got Hanser Alberto. And Jack Reinheimer was one of those. They had a couple other players that came through as minor league free agents, Jose Rondon, <clears throat> excuse me, during the season. And that is a weak spot in the organization to begin with. There is some infield talent that's coming up through the low minors. Adam Hall, they're going to have Gunnar Henderson probably starting at a full season team. I'm pretty excited about Daryl Hernandez, who they took, I believe, in the fifth round this year. But, you know, you know once you get past, I want to say, what is it? It would be Mason McCoy and Ryland Bannon in the high ma- minors. That's it. These are players that the Orioles don't have a lot of cover for if something does happen to a Richie Martin, if something does happen to it. Alberto, something does happen to a VR. So I think it's just as much a depth thing as, as anything else. You know, he had a big year in the PCL this year, but who didn't? It's a, it's a useful player to have, and you can hope that some of those power numbers translate into, uh, you know, ballparks that are located here on planet Earth as opposed to whatever was happening out on the West Coast this year. But as far as VR, it's, it's, it's complicated. I don't, think that I don't think that this front office has any intention or desire to spend that over ten million dollars on Jonathan Br this year, I do think that it would kind of be a weird look for them to non-tender him. That said, they have been doing what they think is right, almost exclusively, for the last year since Michael Elias got hired last November, and I don't really see, I don't really see them that, being concerned with the perception of doing such. Now, do I really want to like? Is it, is there any desire on like? anyone's part to discuss what happens with Jonathan VR for the next month. Like it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to uh, find new ways to talk about it, but he is the type of player who, you know, can help a major league team. Are the Orioles in the position to pay someone $10 million to help them? Given that I think personally that this year might be even more of an extreme on the rebuilding side on the major league. Side than even last year was. I don't really think that's going to be something they're interested in, and if they're not interested in it, they're just not going to do it.
0: Right. Uh, which w- which would make sense. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was about a four win player for the ball club, and you know what's the difference between winning 55 games and 59 games on a rebuilding ball club that's going to finish in last place. So I understand the point there. Now the Orioles have. Also, I don't want to cut you off, but it's also you know. You know, this is
1: something that uh, that other teams are going to have problems with, too. Now that J.D. Martinez opted into his contract up in Boston, everyone's saying, oh, are they going to trade Mookie Betts? You know, I've you know, we have friends who are Cubs fans from Chicago who are in town and they're talking about what to do with Chris Bryant. It's like there's only so many teams competing and none of those teams even want to spend money. So where are all these where is where is the place for a 10 million dollar Jonathan V.R.? On a team that's already good, you know what I mean? Like, where are the place for all these players that these teams don't want to pay? I think that's going to be something the Orioles run into as much as their own personal preferences. If they're trying to trade him, where can they do that? Who wants? Who wants? Who does want to pay him? It's not just that the Orioles don't want to pay Jonathan VR ten million dollars when they could probably, when someone can go out and get somebody who has similar skill sets and probably a little more focus for half that. You know, this is the type, he's not the type of impact player who's going to move the needle trade wise because there are those players out there and there's not a lot of buyers
0: for anything at this point. And that's where they find themselves behind the eight ball because you either pay him $10.4 million and try and find a, a trade partner and you find nobody, or you let him go, you, you non tender him and you get nothing for him. And that's where the Orioles find themselves in a tough situation there. And, you know, credit to VR for having the season that he had to put himself in a situation where he's going to get paid by somebody. So, now the Orioles do have six other players uh in addition to VR who on who need to be tendered um arbitration by that date. You're looking at Hans Alberto, Dylan Bundy, Miguel Castro, um you're looking at Michael Givens, Richard Blyer. Uh who are these guys, and I feel like I'm leaving somebody out, but I I I is it uh Trey Mancini, I believe I'm I'm leaving out there. Um is it Is this one of those things where the Orioles are going to tender them all contracts? Some of them, I I would think that the that the most um, likely scenario is that they will probably non-tender Richard Blyer and tender contracts to the rest of them.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty reasonable estimate of what's going to happen. These are players who, with the exception of Blyer, are young and probably have a lot more good baseball in front of them. Where it will get complicated is, especially in Blyer's case that's a position where you don't have other options. When they non-tendered Tim Beckham last year, they probably knew they were going to take Richie Martin as the Rule 5 pick first overall and just say, okay, you're our shortstop this year. That doesn't leave a ton of place for the Tim Beckhams of the world to be an everyday player for the Orioles, so you non-tender him, you save that money. Caleb Joseph, I'm sure that they knew that you know they had chances to go, they had Austin awesome wins, and catchers shake off the bottom of rosters all the time. It's a position where there's a ton of attrition. It's people get added to the rosters early in their careers because you don't want to let go a major league caliber catcher for free, and then they're on the roster up and down for three years and they go off. That's how they got Pedro Severino, you know, somebody like Jesus Sucre comes available. Where I don't know, and I guess we kind of maybe contradicted ourselves talking about how they're just going to keep finding pitching like they did with Cole Seltzer. Tr- Richard Blyer is is a useful player. At a position of need, that's where it will get a little complicated, but he wasn't the player that he was for Buck Showalter for Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias, and I think that might ultimately be where that decision gets made. They don't really care about what you did before. They want to care about what you're going to do, and the version of Richard Blyer that we saw this year, with the exception of maybe the end of the season after, ironically, they stopped shifting because he yelled at uh, the coach for bad shifts. that's not the Richard buyer that they might want to pay $1.1 $1. $1 million or anything close to that.
0: Right, and th- that's a guy who prior to last year, year prior to his injury, had posted three straight sub-two ERA seasons in the Yankees organization and with the Orioles. And I think there might be something to be said for a guy who probably needed a full season pitching after that injury before he really got reacclimated to how to pitch at the big league level. Because um, that, that, that oblique injury, oblique injuries usually keep you out about 30 days, and it kept him out the entire season, so that was a pretty big injury for him, and like you said, he did pitch better down the stretch. It wasn't sub-two, but it was sub-four, and that's, uh, that's saying a lot for a team that didn't post pretty much any relievers that pitched sub-four aside from Hunter Harvey, so it is an interesting case with Richard Blyer. The raise isn't that much. He is 32 years old at this point, believably 33 in season. So we won't keep you much longer. I just want to ask you one more question. The Orioles have a number of holes in their rotation, in their bullpen. You have the GM meetings coming up uh, the middle of this month. You have the winter meetings coming up the, the middle of next month. Is there any reason for Orioles fans to be excited about these dates like they have been in the past? Is there any signings you expect this team to make to kind of bolster this roster so that they aren't just a complete doormat in 2020? No, I mean,
1: I don't want to be like, I don't want to sound like flipping or like a jerk about it. Like, I just don't think that that's what they're doing at this point in their rebuilding process. I think that all those dates might be more significant because they will be opportunities for Michael Elias to reset the market on some of the trade pieces they have, like Jonathan VR, like Trey Mancini, like Michael Givens, you know, maybe even a Dylan Bundy if somebody wants to. Take a crack at fixing that in a way the Orioles haven't been able to. Right. I think that personally, this is a team that is going to maybe take a step backwards before they take any kind of steps forward. Now, how do you take steps backward from 115, 108 losses? I don't really want to know. I don't want to see that on a regular basis. But whereas this year was it was pretty natural for them to lose 108 games. They weren't trying to lose, but they certainly weren't trying to win. I think there's going to be more of an, there's going to be more of an incentive given some of the 2021 draft prospects to be way up there in that draft and to be solidifying at least one more high pick while some of the low minors pitching comes up, while the Orioles kind of blood the the, the next wave of high miners pitching that's coming out. You know, a lot of those are, in their top 15 or so prospects, that's going to be the priority in the next two years. It's not going to be papering over rotation holes or paying for a couple of respectable relievers so that instead of blowing a lead in the, you know, sixth inning, you might blow it in the eighth. It's just not, I don't think that that's how this is all going to go. And I'd be happy to be wrong, but, Nothing that this front office or organization has done or said in the last year has given any real indication otherwise.
0: Right, and you know, and, and excuse me for being a bit simplistic here, but I'm going to ask you a question uh, in in layman's terms here. Uh, like you said, the Orioles lost 115 games and 108 games. Um, fans see players like Alex Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle and Anthony Santander. They're going to be on the roster next year, and then they see Keegan Aiken coming up, and they have. All these better pitching prospects are going to be a triple A that just weren't on that Tides roster last year. And you mentioned a couple times you think that the Orioles are going to take a, a, a step back this year before they take a step forward. Uh, for the fans who are excited about some of these players, what makes you so sure they're going to take a step back instead of improve from last year to this coming season?
1: I think a lot of that's still going Go to ahead. have to do with the pitching. Um, you know, the outfield was supposed to be a strength this year as well. All those guys were available to the orioles to play all year whether it's austin hayes or anthony santander dj stewart you know ryan malcastle wasn't available this year but a lot of these players were there and they made the conscious choice not to call them up until when they did will a full season of santander be better than a half season you hope so will six months of austin hayes who was like a 0.7 win player in one month and ended up with like the third highest war of any position player on the team, even though he got called up on September 5th. Will that be better for the Orioles over the course of a full season? Absolutely. But that's the type of production that people wanted from Cedric Mullins. That's the type of production that people thought they were going to get from, uh, from, you know, DJ Stewart, when he came up last September and held his own, these things are pretty volatile and no matter how many exciting young players those players are exciting they might be part of good Orioles teams going forward but if the Orioles don't have the dramatic upgrade in pitching that they know they need it's not going to matter how many balls Austin Hayes is diving for in the gap and catching or how many you know how many of those down the line doubles Anthony Santander's hitting how many of those opposite field home runs Trey Mancini's hitting it's going to be hard to win if they can't pitch and they've shown they're going to be very conservative with their pitchers coming up. So some of those guys who are in Norfolk, say for Keegan Aiken, who's going to be added to the roster. I mean, you could even make a case that Keegan Aiken didn't really master triple A the way that they would want to see. He might not be somebody who's up until June, the way that, you know, a DJ Stewart or a chance Sisko had to go back to triple A after spending time there the previous years, you know, this isn't going to happen quickly. And I don't think they're going to be in any rush for it. And that's what makes me think that, especially given how they've been handling their pitching prospects and the pitchers they brought in makes me think that it's probably going to be a situation where the pitching will again, be a real, real weak spot on this team. And that's how you lose games more
0: often than you win them. Yeah. The, the, the pitching is certainly the hindrance for the Orioles and success for the ball club. So John, great stuff as always. We really appreciate you coming on the show and taking some time out of your off season schedule. Uh, Hopefully we'll talk to you a little bit more in the coming months and into next season. Until then, man, thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Good times.
0: Absolutely. Talk soon. All right, and that's going to do it for us here on the payoff pitch, our first off-season show of the off-season. Tune in next month. We'll probably come back and do a show after the winter meetings and once uh, just to kind of talk about some of the moves that the Orioles did or probably won't make. But until then, as always, thanks for tuning in and go O's.